Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to our first NFL Monday of 2021. Boy, that was a fun weekend of football. I was so pumped over the last 24 hours to be getting back into the NFL, and it did not disappoint. We had a super fun weekend. We've got tons to laugh at in the Memes of the Weekend episode, which is preceding this one. So by the time you're listening to this, it'll be available in the feed. Make sure to download both of them and give us that five-star review and the follow and all the support that you guys have continued to do. We are going to go through as many of these games as we can that are relevant and kind of laugh at Daniel Jones a little bit with the honor of our first ever Philip Rivers Purgatory Award to be bestowed upon here today to a very lucky quarterback as well. We'll get to that in a bit as well. But first, let's talk about the game of the day. And the way we kick this off is to celebrate teams that win with their fun theme music. And for about four or five teams, we've got some theme music. And this one comes courtesy of Migos. Browns and the Chiefs was the game that we all had pegged as the game of the week going in. It was the game that we were super excited about in the afternoon window, and boy, did it not disappoint. They went like two and a half quarters with like two punts each, or like between the two of them. It was an incredible, incredible game from the Browns and the Chiefs, even if the Browns petered out on offense towards the end, allowing the Chiefs to just do crazy stuff and come back to win, which was totally insane because... The Browns were up 22 to 10 in the third quarter of this game. And in the fourth quarter, they were up 29 to 17, and that was when Nick Chubb fumbled the football. And when Nick Chubb fumbled the football, that's where all of a sudden the game pivoted. And this is the tough part about playing the Kansas City Chiefs is that their offense is ridiculously overwhelming. Now, in the back of some people's minds were their concerns that the Kansas City Chiefs wouldn't be as overwhelming year over year, of course. Like, some people had that hanging over in the back of their minds, but pretty much everyone looked at the Chiefs like they're just the ridiculously overwhelming offense that everybody focuses in on as, like, the best team, the best assembly of talent on one side of the ball that we've ever seen, or at least I've seen in my lifetime. And so Kansas City gets the ball after Chubb fumbles. They kick a field goal to make it 29-20, and then the Browns have to punt back to the Chiefs. And this is the play of the game that I pointed out over on Instagram at Comical Sports, was just that the Kansas City Chiefs can do everything 
wrong on defense, and the Browns can execute a very good game plan on offense. They incorporated uh, wide receiver running plays with Jarvis Landry. They got two tight ends involved with Njoku being back healthy and Austin Hooper being a better part of the offense than he was last year. They incorporated both running backs, Chubb and Hunt, to a T in that game. There was one point early in the game where Chubb scored a touchdown and then Kareem Hunt scored the two-point conversion. So they used both in a nice little combination back and forth. And yet, despite executing really well on offense... Picking apart the Browns' defense, all Mahomes has to do is just chuck a 75-yard pass, have Tyreek Hill locate it because he's just faster than everyone else, and waltz on into the end zone. One play, 75 yards, and the Cleveland Browns lose the lead that they had been fighting the entire game to maintain. So, Kansas City's biggest concern coming out of this game is that it took them a while to get going, and... I had talked about before, actually, so let's talk about Cleveland before we get to this Kansas City point. The Cleveland defense coming into the year, I'd said, was new, but I wasn't sure if they were good. I wanted a bit of a sample size to figure that out, and Cleveland's defense very much impressed. Like, I give them a lot of credit for the way that they balled out in that game against Kansas City. Cleveland's defense looks to be legitimately good, and their offense can be top 10. And top 10 offense and top 5 defense was good enough for Tampa Bay when they got hot to win the Super Bowl last year. So it means Cleveland is a really good team, balanced on both sides. There was one play where uh, Mahomes got sacked by Clowney and uh, Garrett both beating the tackles off the edge, which was like picturesque what the Browns had been hoping for. And it looked like for a moment it was going to be Cleveland getting that one three-minute drive to go win the game after that pancake sack by Garrett and Clowney, which obviously doesn't work out so well for Cleveland afterwards. What I wanted to talk about with Kansas City's offense was that Kansas City comes out of this game feeling a little disappointing despite the fact they scored the fourth most points of any team on Sunday, which is laughable when you really think about it, that Kansas City disappointed because they were only the fourth highest scoring offense and Mahomes only had 30-something fantasy points. Um, Because for a while, the Browns controlled the tempo of the game. They were winning the entire way through. They forced a punt early on Kansas City, and they didn't punt at all in the first half. They, again, their running backs are are the key to their offensive cog, and so they controlled time of possession over Kansas City, which does not happen very often. And ultimately, it fell apart in the end because Cleveland's offense just couldn't keep up the whole way through, and that's, you know, the difference between Kansas City, the most dominant offense we've ever seen, and Cleveland. The concern that Kansas City should have is not with their offense because their offense came around and still beat up on a Cleveland team that's like playoff caliber good and they saw them in the playoffs last year they're going to probably see them in the playoffs again this year unless they match up with different teams in the second round or conference championship even theoretically so these these two teams are really good but the concern Kansas City should have is their defense I've talked about this before on the podcast is that In 2018, Mahomes' MVP season, he was a rookie. Kansas City lost in the conference championship to the Patriots on that D4 jumping off side play and Brady getting the ball to start overtime. That year, the Chiefs were 29th in the NFL in DVOA. They fired their coordinator and hired Steve Spagnuolo, changed a few things on that side of the ball. They traded D Ford, acquired Frank Clark with the pick they got for D Ford. So they basically made a swap there. They 
brought they signed Tyran Matthew to an extension. They they made few moves with the personnel, but mostly brought back the same team. The next year they won the Super Bowl in 2019 and finished ninth in DVOA among defensive units. And then last year Kansas City lost in the Super Bowl and finished 21st in defensive DVOA. So Kansas City's defense just needs to be not terrible for them to be okay. And what we saw today was Cleveland picking apart the Kansas City defense. And Kansas City should be concerned from that side of the ball, that their defense isn't as talented as a year ago, and that their defense might struggle to keep up with what the Cleveland Browns are doing. This is really going to be the only thing that slows down Kansas City, as we saw today. We know Cleveland's a really good team. How good they stack up in the AFC, we'll find out later on throughout the season. We're going to talk about Buffalo in a bit, because that was genuinely shocking today. But where they stack up against the rest of the NFC, or against the rest of the AFC, is going to be really interesting, given that we've now gotten our first taste of the Cleveland offense and the Cleveland defense. And we already knew Cleveland was super talented just by virtue of having 99 overall Miles Garrett working the edges and Anthony Walker and Troy Hill, John Johnson, uh, all those guys that we just know as names in the sport that are good. You look at Cleveland, you see superstar names and know Cleveland has one of the best rosters in the NFL. Kansas City's defense is a big question mark and is the thing that could derail them, not from being like great all time, but keep them from being in the Super Bowl because Mahomes may be great, but we've seen it times before is that when the defense does let him down, sometimes these deficits do become insurmountable. Sometimes it's just against Tom Brady, but we have the example from last year of Derek Carr picking apart the Kansas City defense and out shooting Kansas City like 42 to 35 I think was the score of that Raiders Chiefs game so there are examples of this the game today or yesterday or whatever you're listening to this the the game between Cleveland and Kansas City was an example of what we're talking about there it could be a concern for the Chiefs down the road that's the takeaway they should have from this game not that their offense didn't score a ton of points early because they made up for that with a 75-yard Tyreek Hill touchdown that they can just poop out whenever they feel like it. So, fun game. Browns should probably be feeling bad about how it ended, and obviously there's some offensive question marks. Obviously, part of that is Baker Mayfield, but we're not going to be able to answer that after week one because Baker played really good. He made some awesome throws. They ran the offense through their two dominant running backs, best running back group in the NFL, dominant offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. All the stuff that we already knew about Cleveland was kind of reinforced in the Kansas City game because like we just talked about for the last three minutes, they weren't really playing a great defense.
Yes, how about that Miami Dolphins bet that we nailed, huh? Plus four picks of the week, locking it in on the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins did not disappoint. Now, did they get bailed out by Damian Harris fumbling at the end of the game? Absolutely they did, but you know what? This seems to be the Patriots' M.O. now. Patriots fumble the ball at the end of games for some weird reason, but still... We have a victory for the Miami Dolphins, 17-16. Tua Tungavailoa played all right. Like, I'm not going to diss on Tua too much because Tua played a pretty good game. I mean, he had some good moments. He had some moments where, you know, Patriots outplayed him against a very good defense. Wasn't anything special? Looked pretty good. I don't know if we learned anything more or less from Tua, but... The Dolphins' defense is still just as good as we thought they were. They had names on the defense last year. They forced a ton of turnovers, which was the main reason why I thought that their defense wouldn't be able to replicate the same success as last year. And yet, the Patriots don't have the most overwhelming offense in the world. Like, let's not pretend like Mac Jones and Damian Harris isn't a super young, rebuilding offense that'll probably be like 20th in points this year. But still, it was a fascinating, fascinating game for the Miami Dolphins, and they get the victory uh, to move to 1-0 and forced some key turnovers towards the end of the game. So congrats to Miami. You guys are the greatest football team who takes the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air. We're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, which was their 1970s fight song when they were good. And then obviously, as you heard today, remixed by T-Pain in an absolute banger of a Miami Dolphins fight song from 2008. They have not won a playoff game since that came out, but I hope we're going to get to play that a lot this season. All right, let's talk about the Packers and the Saints, which is kind of our obligation here. We'll, we'll talk more about this game a lot with Morgan from Australia tomorrow because um, obviously Morgan is a Saints fan, and so she gets to bask in the victory of her Saints for this one day. It's a great day to have her on the podcast. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the one part I will say about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers did something very similar to this against the Saints against Tampa last year. For those who may not remember, Aaron Rodgers scored a rushing touchdown and then did the famous slash infamous Hinkle McCrinkleberry uh, thrusting motion. I don't know what you call it. Hip thrust, I guess. Um, but that celebration was like early in the game when the Packers went up 10 nothing and they ended up losing like 38-10 to or something like that. And Aaron Rodgers in that game threw two pick sixes, essentially. One was an actual pick six, and one was tackled at the two-yard line, which ended up in a Bucks touchdown. So basically, Aaron Rodgers threw two pick sixes, got blown out, and still ended up winning MVP. In this game against the Saints, Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions in three passes, held the ball only about four times on the Saints side of the field, which by the way, I started Saints defense in fantasy for matchups over the next few weeks, but it turns out the Saints might have one of the best defensive units in the NFL, and maybe an offseason of total turmoil doesn't actually work out that well for some teams. So Aaron Rodgers, to the point, he played that poorly against the Bucks last year and had a similar type result. Multiple INTs, not a lot of plays on the other side of the field, and it still worked out okay. He still was the MVP, 
And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to win MVP this year. I don't think many people had him winning MVP. I don't think many betting odds had him as the favorite to win MVP. Part of that is the the discomfort with the Packers. Part of it is being 39 years old. Um, and the fact that last year was kind of fluky. Like Aaron Rodgers had been a bit of a game manager prior to all of this. And... He had that magical season last year, and it was probably the peak of the Packers and might end up being the peak of the Packers, looking at them now and losing to the Saints and saying, you know, this isn't really the greatest look for the Green Bay Packers, given that we already had some question marks about their ability to stop the run or what they're going to do when, for example, Devontae Adams gets limited by a number one corner like Marshawn Lattimore. And even when Marshawn Lattimore comes out of the game, they can rotate uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson onto him out of the slot and still pretty much hold Devontae Adams to five catches for 56 yards. And so my rule on this, I said it when the Packers lost last year to the Bucks. I said it when the Bucks lost by 35 to the Saints. I said it when the Bucks beat the the Detroit Lions by like 42 and Tom Brady broke a first half touchdown record. Games like this, we don't learn anything about the teams that are playing. It's just a weird result, a weird upset, an outlier. We don't learn anything from these types of games. And if you want to bask in the glory of Jameis Winston, however, we can do that tomorrow with Morgan. I'm sure nobody will overreact to this Aaron Rodgers story over the next couple days, though. That would be totally unlike everything in sports media, right? 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 Let's show some love to the Arizona Cardinals. Because the Cardinals shocked even my wildest of expectations. And they might end up fitting under that same category we were talking about with um, the Green Bay Packers. Which is that this one might feel a little bit like an outlier. Maybe Arizona's really good, but also everyone in their division played really well today. By the way since we might not get to them at some point because it was like the ninth most interesting game of the weekend. Russell Wilson was uncertain what would happen with Russell Wilson because last year he did play really bad to end the season. Russell Wilson, perfect passer rating for most of the game. He was almost the MVP of the weekend, so shout out to my man Russell Wilson. He played awesome and satisfied my doubts not entirely but made it realize like okay Russell Wilson is still in his prime Russell Wilson is still going to be great and the Seahawks are still going to win 12 games like they have been for the last seven seasons so satisfied that hunger I had for what was going on with Russell Wilson it worked out okay for the Seahawks Uh, Carson Wentz looked meh it's the best he could say wasn't good wasn't bad Carson Wentz looked pretty meh which is kind of where I think we identify Carson Wentz with now. He's in like quarterback purgatory at this point now in his career. Carson Wentz completed like only 68% of his passes, but still had like two touchdowns, 290 yards. Wasn't a bad game for Carson Wentz. Um, Just meh. It's the best you could say. Didn't learn anything more or less about Carson Wentz through this one game. But Russell Wilson impressed us. Russell Wilson came back to the Russell Wilson we're used to. And uh, this year, I think we won't have a second place to Russell Wilson MVP award show, but still pretty impressive what he did. Perfect passer rating most of the game. So give Russell Wilson some love there. Back to the Cardinals. The reason I went to that was because everyone in the NFC West kicked ass this weekend, at least for until, I guess until like the six quarters of the, or the, 
what is it? The 20 minutes, the quarter and a half of the 49ers falling apart. So the <laughs> for the Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals, and like five-eighths of the 49ers game, the NFC West just whooped ass over the weekend, proving that even though I didn't make a pick on them, they might be even more chaotic than we had initially anticipated in that division. But to the Cardinals, finally, I I will get to the Cardinals because Chandler Jones ended up with five sacks. DeAndre Hopkins had 150 yards and two touchdowns. Kyler Murray had two, like, wow plays where he's scrambling around in the backfield and firing completions and getting memed a little bit because he looks like that meme with Shrek running through the dog course, which, shout out to NFL Memes IG, that was a clever post even though it didn't get the love and respect that I thought it would but still it was very very clever and so the Cardinals might be an outlier case here I think everything went right for Arizona in that game and if you want some deep Arizona Cardinals talk I'd love to hear what my buddy Walter Mitchell has to say about it and you can check that out over on the Red Rain podcast and ROTB uh, tomorrow morning which is technically today um, because it's a podcast. You can listen whenever you're listening. And so check that out. It'll be out by the time you're listening to this, I assume, unless you're like five of you, if you want the deep Cardinals talk from a Cardinals expert. But this one feels a little bit outlierish, similarly to what happened with the Packers. And you could say this about a few of those games today. Um, you could argue it was kind of an outlier for uh, a team like the, the Carolina Panthers or an outlier for the Denver Broncos. But I feel like those might be more representative sample sizes than, for example, the Cardinals absolutely pile-driving the Tennessee Titans who couldn't get anything going from Derrick Henry. And as a Derrick Henry fantasy owner, it was quite disappointing today uh, to know that if he had just played below average, I would have probably had the win in my fantasy league this week. But going up against that front seven, well, really that front four for the for the te- for the Arizona Cardinals was really what did a lot of the damage. Um, but for Derrick Henry to get outrushed by both Chase Edmonds and James Conner was something I did not see coming going into the day. It felt like what happened in that AFC Championship game that they played against the Chiefs where they basically said, we're just going to deny Derrick Henry and dare you to beat us elsewhere. And the Titans could do it for like a quarter, but then couldn't keep up with the Chiefs. And Julio Jones was basically a non-existent part of the offense. He had three catches for 29 yards which was a little shocking, but also some people had said it was a possibility. So, again, might be an outlier. Cardinals have a poor secondary, and yet they basically contained... um, Well, I guess the the work of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones was in part Buda Baker, so shout-out to Buda Baker. He was awesome this week. J.J. Watt was great in containing Derrick Henry, and obviously Chandler Jones had five sacks. So it was an outlier type of game against Taylor Lewan, who's obviously coming back from injury, but I thought it was interesting that Taylor Lewan posted after the game, like, I need to do better. Thank you, Chandler Jones, for pointing out my flaws and helping me get better. And again, this is the dude that, like, went on an RV tour. Um, This dude is, like, a country boy, and he's been humbled quite a lot in the past. He's been the guy who like drinks catfish or drinks beer out of catfish, like typical O-line BS. And he's a personality 
on the offensive line. We don't have many of those. So it stands out when like he's thanking Chandler Jones for helping him get better and that he needs to do his job better. Accountability is on par for Taylor Lewan. This is like the second or third time he's done that. But again, that's an outlier. Chandler Jones is not going to have five sacks over and over and over again. But it's weird that the only two five-sack games that I've seen over the last three years have both come from Arizona Cardinals. It was Hassan Reddick last year against the Giants, and it was Chandler Jones in week one against the Tennessee Titans. So outlier games this week, I think the ones we can point to are the Cardinals, the Saints as a good outlier type, and I'll throw the Carolina Panthers in there because the Jets' defense didn't play so well. It was a half of dominance from Sam Darnold where he went into the locker room with a 126 QBR, had a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown, completed like 70% of his passes. He came back down to earth towards the end, and the Jets' back door covered to help me get that victory. But those are the ones that kind of represent outliers a bit. Is the first half for the Panthers the Saints and the Cardinals which while we're here let's talk real quick about Zach Wilson because while Aaron Rodgers might have the crown for worst quarterback performance of the weekend Zach Wilson was right up there like he started the game 9 for 22 had a 25 passer rating like it was bad for Zach Wilson to start the game and that's something that they're gonna have to you know, reconcile over the next few weeks as the Cardinals, you know, or I'm sorry, as the Jets basically have a meaningless season. And it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening with that. But it was like really bad to watch for the uh, the New York Jets. And the same growing pains were there for um, Trevor Lawrence. And obviously Zach Wilson corrected some stuff later and still finished with an okay game. Like, Terrible completion percentage, but still had a pretty okay game. Uh, Same thing for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence had three interceptions that made his rookie debut look a lot worse, especially against a poor Texans defense. But a lot of the stuff gets corrected, and you see the good points in there as well. So both of those rookies had rough days. And Mac Jones just refused to throw a football further than 15 yards. So if we're going to do the rookie roundtable, Trey Lance threw the touchdown and the only pass he got in the Trey Lance package, which we'll talk about that 49ers-Lions game in memes of the weekend too. But uh, Trey Lance got that one touchdown pass. Mac Jones refused to throw a football further than 15 yards. It was just all checkdowns and game managing, and they only scored 16 lousy points on like three field goals and a fumble from Damian Harris. It wasn't a bad game for Mac Jones. It was just a total game manager type of game. Like Teddy Bridgewater had more wow plays than Mac Jones did. And Teddy Bridgewater's weren't even like super athletic. It was just like rolling to his right, sitting as a defender collapses on him and still hits that tight end with a really long name that was getting memed on Canadian Cutler's page. Um, And so... I think that Mac Jones just wasn't asked to do a lot in this game, and that's fine. That's the Patriots game plan. It didn't work, but it almost worked. All Mac, all Damian Harris had to do was hang on to the football. So there's that. Justin Fields went two for two in garbage time after the Chicago Bears got absolutely schmacked by the Los Angeles Rams. 
and uh, Andy Dalton served his purpose, which was just getting absolutely hammered by Aaron Donald and the Rams' defense in a game that they were basically punting on and minimizing their losses to be uh, Justin Fields' first game, which credit to Matt Nagy for having that realism, or maybe he thinks that Andy Dalton's actually better, which good luck to that if you're a Chicago Bears fan, if that's the game plan there, and it's not just strategically protecting Justin Fields. So I think Mac Jones, I guess Trey Lance's one touchdown gets to be the victory of the day for the rookies, but you know, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson had their issues. Both teams got beat up real bad against not-so-great opponents, but they also play for not-so-great teams. So some of that stuff was expected. Uh, we saw the flashes but didn't see the actual performances go well. And we just knocked out, like, three game analyses right there. Now we don't have to talk about Jaguars and Texans anymore. Even though it was kind of interesting, Texans offense played pretty well. Shout-out to Tyrod Taylor. But we don't have to talk about Jaguars and Texans anymore. We just get to talk about rookie quarterbacks on a Monday after week one. Chargers may no longer be the San Diego Superchargers, but I still want to keep that song's memory alive because it is such a banger and brings me such good memories from childhood. That 1970s Chargers Super Anthem. I guess it's technically the San Diego Superchargers Anthem, but we're very tired, so we're going to make little weird sentences like that. Um, In terms of the Chargers-Washington game, I thought Justin Herbert played better than the stats said he did. Uh, He completed just under 66% of his passes, which, you know, is not great. Um, And he only averaged about 10.9 yards per completion, which is about average. Um, Only threw one touchdown, had the one interception that was kind of his fault, but it was just a really good play by the Washington defense. And he finished with an 85 passer rating, which is below average. The average is about 89 to 90. So technically, by these stats, it was a slightly below average game for Justin Herbert. While on the other side, Taylor Heineke, who didn't throw an interception, uh, basically had a 119 passer rating, but didn't really do anything with that because he completed 11 passes for a hundred and twenty two yards I want to say but one of them was like one big play 
that worked out great for Washington. But Washington's offense felt kind of constipated for most of the game. Antonio Gibson had over his um, bet. I think his bet was, I was watching the NFL Network pregame show. I think he was, it was like 81 scrimmage yards or something, and Antonio Gibson finished with 94. So it was an okay game for Antonio Gibson, but Washington's offense felt constipated. And, and they again, Washington doesn't have a great offense. Last year they were worse than Adam Gase on offense with Alex Smith at quarterback, and now they're going to be without Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitzmagic for the next you know four to five six weeks uh with a hip subluxation which happened pretty early in that game i think it was like the second quarter that Fitzmagic became the first big injury of the season then followed up by jerry judy and uh marshawn Lattimore left the saints game but the uh, makai becton also got hurt in the jets game but Fitzmagic was like the first big and i put big in air quotes because it's only big because he's a quarterback but first big injury of the year was Fitzmagic and Heineke did his best, but you know they're they're an offense that didn't really change much over the offseason. Yes, they added Cortland. I mean, not Cortland Sutton, Curtis Samuel, uh, different CS wide receiver. But you could understand how I might confuse Cortland Sutton and Curtis Samuel. They are very similar wide receivers, and so um, yeah, they added Curtis Samuel, but he doesn't really move the needle one way or the other with that offense. You know, Logan Thomas and. Terry McLaurin are their best options, and they're fine options. Terry McLaurin is a true wide receiver one, but they it doesn't really move the needle either way, and Gibson's a fine running back. But again, Washington's not working with a lot on the offensive side of the ball, and they didn't really put any draft capital into the offense again this offseason. So Washington, you know, they're working from a position of poverty, and they lost their guy who is a fringe starter but still better than Taylor Heineke to injury so their offense looked constipated and the Chargers got away with a win uh, much to my happy chagrin because uh, I picked the Chargers to win and it was basically a pick em game and the Chargers it looked in jeopardy for a little bit but the Chargers still played okay not a lot to take away from either side there other than Justin Herbert I thought played better than what the numbers showed, but the numbers showed that it was a bit of a regression for Justin Herbert. Speaking of regression, let's talk about my man Josh Allen because, woof, not a great day for Josh Allen uh, getting outplayed by Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and it's weird to say that considering how much I disdain Ben Roethlisberger and you know call him Jimmy Roethlisberger and say he's been washed and should have retired a year ago and say that the Steelers, for all their greatness as an organization and smarts in executing um, their game plans over the years, they really botched that Big Ben situation. They really botched the quarterback room where now they're left with like Dwayne Haskins as their only realistic option because they still want to compete. They still want to be really good and not address the quarterback position despite, you know, the glaring need at quarterback because Big Ben is like one of these fringe starters that has been surrounded with a bunch of great skill position players and that's going to help and Najee Harris didn't play great, but none of the fantasy running backs really played great. We talked about Derrick Henry a little bit ago. Talked about Zeke back on Friday. Like none of the fantasy running backs, other than Joe Mixon for some reason, played really well in this game. And so I found it interesting that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers ended up winning the game without having tons of offensive firepower. And it's the reason why I would say with with dead certainty that the MVP 
of the weekend. And we don't usually give out those MVP type of things, but the MVP of the weekend is the Steelers' defense. I don't even think this is a Josh Allen thing for what went wrong with Buffalo, even though Josh Allen finished with a passer rating of 79.7 and completed only 59% of his passes, which is what we're used to Josh. That's what the old Josh Allen would do. That's what we're used to poor performances from Josh Allen being. I think this one is a testament to the Steelers' defense. I think this one is a huge victory for Pittsburgh and a defense that I... The reason I thought Pittsburgh was a playoff team and would be kind of on the fringes of the playoffs this year and maybe be the seventh seed, maybe beat Cleveland and end up as the sixth or something weird like that. The reason I thought that is because they brought back everyone on defense last year except for Bud Dupree who went out in week seven with a torn ACL. So they brought back everyone on defense, a defensive unit that we universally regarded as the best in the NFL for like 12 weeks until they stopped winning games because their defense lost Devin Bush and, you know, started giving up a few more points here and there to Brandon Allen and uh, I guess Alex Smith for an extent, but that one was just the offense being constipated. The, The point being, Washington ends up beating Pittsburgh, and after that, we kind of just stopped thinking Pittsburgh was a good team. But Pittsburgh was still really good on defense, and they brought everyone back, and therefore, even though defense is hard to replicate year over year, because they have the names that you recognize and know like statistics that are like, this is why it could be an outlier, Pittsburgh was going to have a really good defense, and a really good defense will get you enough wins even if Duck Hodges is your quarterback, which they did two years ago. They won nine games with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Did I think they would beat Buffalo? No, I didn't. But there was a reason I stayed away from this game on the gambling side is because I didn't feel like Buffalo was a lock to cover the seven. Felt like seven was about right. I thought Buffalo would win by a touchdown. In the end, Buffalo loses by a touchdown. It's a 14-point swing. Ben Roethlisberger did just enough to outplay uh, Josh Allen, which was not a high bar to set, but Big Ben checked down a bunch, only completed (laughs) 10 yards per completion, which is really low by quarterback standards, only had the one touchdown and did the thing that's the best they can ask for him at this point, which is don't turn the ball over. Just don't turn the ball over and we're going to be okay. That's all they cared about and it worked out in the end. So congratulations to Pittsburgh. Your defense gets to be MVP. Not a single receiver had more than 52 yards in the game, which was Juju Smith-Schuster. Defense, MVP for Pittsburgh. Win the game against the Buffalo Bills. Kept him out of the end zone. And Josh Allen didn't even turn the ball over either. So it was just great job of containing and limiting the Buffalo Bills. And that's the best I can say there. It's not Josh Allen's fault, even though I'd love... To, to poke some fun at Josh Allen because of our heinous take last year that said that Josh Allen would go 6-10 and 10 and the Bills would replace him at the end of the season, which was very clearly wrong. I think that to name Josh Allen an elite quarterback, we needed a larger sample size. And if anything, this game is going to throw into question that Josh Allen is an elite quarterback. Maybe it was a fluky season. Maybe something happened with the offense. And I think Buffalo is going to be just fine. Josh Allen made some wow plays in the game. It was just a lot of 
incompletions, not having a lot of time to go through progressions and reads. He got sacked three times in the game. Uh, the Buffalo Bills fumbled the ball a bunch, and that was kind of the difference in the game was uh, not getting protection for Devin Singletary or protection for Josh Allen. And so that ends up going uh, to the the Steelers for forcing turnovers. Biggest thing in their favor was forcing all those fumbles and denying Josh Allen, and then just doing enough to steal the game at the very end in the second half. So good job to Pittsburgh. Your defense gets to be the MVP this week. I mentioned earlier that uh, we we have a new award here on the Take It Easy podcast. For about 15 years, Philip Rivers represented one thing and one thing more than anything else. And maybe this is a memes of the weekend segment, but for today we're going to put it in the main show. Philip Rivers represented 150 left to go, down seven points, length of the field to go, no timeouts. It's what Philip Rivers was in every single week of his career for 15 years. Philip Rivers built a Hall of Fame career on being down seven points with a minute to go, no timeouts, length of the field. Would he win? Sometimes, most of the times he'd lose or throw an interception or end up throwing a Hail Mary at the last second. But Philip Rivers was going to be down seven, one minute left to go, no timeouts, length of the field. And now that Philip Rivers is retired, we need to have the new Philip Rivers purgatory. And since there is no one player to accurately fill that void of Philip Rivers purgatory, Every week we are going to give out the Philip Rivers Purga- the Memorial Philip Rivers Purgatory Award here on the podcast. And this week that award goes to the player that I would say most embodies the Philip Rivers Purgatory ideals, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, you win the Philip Rivers Purgatory Award for week number 1. They were down 24-21 against the Cincinnati Bengals. With one minute left and one timeout, Kirk Cousins took him down the field, spiked the ball with three seconds left. Their kicker made a 52-yard field goal to force overtime. That game was drawing out into the afternoon games in overtime between the Vikings and Bengals. And it ended up with a fumble by uh, by Dalvin Cook that maybe wasn't a fumble, and then the Bengals going for it on fourth and one but having no timeouts. And... Th- 50 seconds left so they had to throw it to get into field goal range because if they ran it they were going to lose 27 seconds off the clock and they were only going to have one more play to throw it down the field and if they don't get it so what you're trying to win you're not trying to go for the tie and so Cincinnati made that bold move and ends up winning the game um, which you could argue like it's uh, I'd say it was the right decision but you could argue it was a risky decision that would have cost you the game but you could have played to tie as the alternative so um, Cincinnati ends up winning. Zach Taylor, despite winning, still has a worse win percentage than Adam Gase. And Kirk Cousins in loss still gets to receive the first week one Philip Rivers Purgatory Award here on the podcast. So, um, by the way, we'll, we'll talk more about this with Blake Jude, of course. He is our NFL draft expert, really just our weekly NFL expert because we love doing podcasts with him across a year and a half, almost two years now. And uh, 
I assume he'll have lots to say about the Bengals because he nailed it on that prediction. So congrats to the Bengals. That could have been a, uh, a segment for the memes of the weekend, but you know what? We'll just get it out of the way now. It was a great job by those Cincinnati Bengals and a great job by Kirk Cousins to lead a comeback in Philip Rivers' purgatory to force the overtime segment originally. And like I was saying, it was dipping into the afternoon games, and at the time I was just saying, can we just call it a tie and move on? I really want the Red Zone channel to switch over to the Kansas City Chiefs and Browns game, which, by the way, my favorite tweet of the weekend came from my boy Dan Lebetard, who basically said, is anyone else getting irrationally angry every time that the red zone switches to the Broncos and Giants game? And the answer is absolutely yes. They spent way too much time on the Broncos and Giants game. At a certain point, I just switched full-time over to Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the Browns and Chiefs broadcast because I was just getting tired of listening to the NFL red zone keep showing highlights of the Broncos and the Giants. Uh, with neither team having, like the only two teams, well, Washington's also there, but the only two teams in the NFL that don't have a quarterback happen to be playing at the same time on Sunday in an afternoon window, which, by the way, had the game of the week, the upset of the week with the Packers and the Saints, and a really, really interesting game between the Dolphins and Patriots that I predicted correctly and went out on a limb and said the Dolphins would win which was just a little bit of flex for myself, but still it was a really interesting window, and yet they just kept showing way too much Broncos and Giants. And I already talked enough about Teddy Bridgewater and Jerry Judy's injury, which, unfortunate for my fantasy team, but when you have seven wide receivers that scored in double digits, it's going to work out okay. If you want some talk about the other games, maybe we didn't get to your team this week, (laughs) don't worry. We will have much to discuss over on the memes of the weekend episode, which is out right after the one that you just listened to. So make sure to look for it on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast on a magical football Monday. Super happy that I can say that once again. Make sure to follow, download, and leave that five-star review. Uh, and don't be don't be too upset if you don't. I really appreciate all the support that you guys have been showing. Download the memes of the weekend episode, all that fun stuff. Um, we got more content coming your way all throughout the next few days. So stay safe, be happy, and of course, tighten up. Have a great day, everybody.